listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. As we get started, um, we've been in this series on prayer, and so the way we'd like to close that out this evening is with a night of prayer. And so I'd like to invite you uh, to our Locust Grove campus congregation, and it's about seven miles south of here. And so tonight, I would, um, I would plead with you and encourage you to be there with us. We're going to gather with our sister congregation down in Locust Grove. Uh, you can find the address at southpoint.org. It begins at 5 p.m. And it's going to be a simple time of us crying out together to the Lord. And hopefully you've been encouraged if you signed up and attended um, the last 24-hour day of prayer over Friday night until last night. Uh, and I was here I guess Saturday morning at, um, at 12 a.m. until one. And it was just uh, a sweet time. And I was able to walk through a couple of other times and hear people praying to God, pleading on behalf of the lost, uh, praying for healing, uh, for our neighbors, for uh, our children. And it was just uh, a marvelous time. And so we wanna conclude this series with a night of prayer tonight um, in Locust Grove. The address, if, uh, if you're wondering, is 170 Cleveland Street there in Locust Grove. And uh, child care is provided for third grade and under if you're concerned about that. So I would encourage you and your family to join us tonight in Locust Grove. Secondly, next Sunday afternoon, January 29th, we have a quarterly partners meeting. And so often we, or every time before this, we've gone down to Locust Grove and joined uh, with that sister congregation and uh, taken part of the partners meeting down there. But next Sunday, we're actually gonna have that partners meeting here in McDonough and they're gonna have their own there in Locust Grove. The only reason for that is to make it a little bit easier on people. Uh, people keep asking, why are we doing this? And uh, nothing major, we just thought we'd, uh, do something different. So I know change is uh, not in everyone's wheelhouse, but there's nothing, no reason to uh, speculate or wonder. We're just trying to make it easier on folks to be able to attend. So if you are a partner or in the partnership process, I would encourage you to be here next Sunday immediately following the service. You can sign up for food at southpoint.org. And so please bring something delicious for us to eat. And we'll be looking at what God has done this past year and casting vision and looking forward at some goals and some dreams and some plans maybe even some fears that we have about 2023. So that's next Sunday, January 29th. And lastly, if you're new here at South Point, uh, grab a Connect card. It's in the seat there in front of you. You can fill that out and take it to the Next Steps table there in the atrium. We have a small gift for you, and we'll send you a note this week just saying thank you for joining us this morning uh, to worship here with us as a church at South Point. Um, and, and we want to be able to serve you and your family. And so as we send you that note, um, that email and a handwritten note, our goal in that is to be able to serve y'all and to invite you to serve the mission of God with us together here as a church. So like I mentioned, we've been in this series on prayer. And if you haven't listened to the first two sermons on that, you can find those online. Uh, we've live streamed those and you can find the podcast as well. So the past two weeks, we've been covering this topic. This idea is that the most important work and great scandal of prayer is simply letting ourselves be loved by God. That's the most important work that we have in prayer is being reminded 
that we are loved by God. And so two weeks ago, we saw that when our lives are frantic, when we are busy, overly busy, when we are in a hurry, it is difficult to slow down and be reminded of this truth. And so I want to go this morning to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to begin, we're going to jump off from Galatians chapter 4. And here I want us to be reminded of the need to put hurry and restlessness to death But I also want to be reminded, we saw this last week, we should be reminded of our identity, the core identity that we have in Christ as being his sons and his daughters. So Galatians chapter four, if you have a a Bible, go there with me. If you don't, this is going to be up on the screen so you can read along silently as I uh, read this out loud. Galatians four, Paul writes to the church there. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons. Now notice here, so I'm gonna finish those verses in just a second. He begins setting up and saying, you're not simply slaves to a master, but you are an heir to the father. Now, when we hear this word slave, we have in our minds, oftentimes, this idea of American slavery. Quick side note, this isn't what Paul is talking about here. It's a little different in this context because if you had a debt, you could enslave yourself to someone else is what's called. Also, the word there is bond servant to pay off that debt. He's not talking here about the kind of slavery that we saw a couple hundred years ago in America that we still see around the world, a travesty, this remarkably unexplainable way that men and women could enslave, could take the identity, the God-given identity from others who were created in the image of God and treat them as less than. So here he's not talking about that form of slavery that we're accustomed to, but just know that he's also not condoning that. He's it's something completely different, but I will in this one, we condemn everything historically that has to do with slavery and treating someone less than created in the image of God. Here he's saying, you're not a slave. You're not even a bondservant. You are a child. You are an heir. And even though you were born under the law, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a woman, just like me and you, incarnate in the flesh, born of woman under the law, just like you. But instead of being subject to the law and failing to complete the law like we have done, Jesus lives perfectly, completing the law perfectly. He fulfills every single part of the law. And because he lived for us and died for us on our behalf, and because he was raised to life, now we get to the end of this passage right here. And now he says, because of Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us. He has bought us back from the law. He has received, we can receive adoptions as sons. Then we get to verse number six. And because you are his sons. So now we are on equal footing with Jesus Christ before the father. Can I just get an amen right there? I know it's real early in the sermon, but man, that's really good news. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. 
He has given us a new identity. And that spirit is crying, and we cry with the spirit, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That word Abba there is an intimate, this is a child curling up in, in his or her mom or dad's arms and, and saying, Daddy, Mommy. I don't still call my parents that for good reason. If I did, if, if, if you heard me on my phone and, and I said, hey, mommy, I'm glad you'd be like, whoa, okay. We got something to talk about. But there's an intimacy here, a vulnerability, a transparency that we can still cry out, Abba, Father, like a little child. Verse seven, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, since you are a son, because you are a son, then an heir through God. An heir to what? An heir to the promise of new life because of Jesus Christ. We will never outgrow this. We will never outgrow this childlike dependency on God the Father as we continually cry, Abba. There's so much more that the Spirit has to teach us about prayer. And so as you come in here this morning, you're like, yeah, man, I, I pray eight hours a day. I like 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. That's me. Like, like that's great. This is how we should be praying. And some of y'all come in here and like, man, I don't even know if I have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're right in the middle. You're like, yeah, I do. I believe in Jesus. I have this faith, but I don't pray in the way that I should. I would say wherever you are this morning, this passage is for you. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty of sin for you so that you can cry out to the Father, Abba. He invites you in to curl up on his lap, to be intimate with the creator of the universe. We are invited into life with the Trinity. Dog. That's the least word that I can say like that. That is amazing. We are invited into the source of love. We're invited into relational beauty. Man, you, can, you may get an awesome invitation to lunch today from somebody here, from somebody else. Man, you may get an invitation from Keith Keller to lunch and he can peer into your soul. <laughs> he may even use his church credit card to pay for your lunch. Now we're trying to cut back this year a little bit. So that'd be a real treat. It would be awesome, and Rachel would be there, and Luke and Eli, they probably won't be there, but um, like Rachel, and Keith, like sitting with them, you're like, man, what an honor. Let me tell you something. <laughs> the honor of eating with them pales in comparison to the invitation that we have right here, to eternal life and love with the Trinity, relational beauty with the Trinity. So we can say, Abba, Father. There's no better friend group that we can be invited into. And as we... Look at this third week of prayer. I want us to see seven things. This Everybody say seven. That's a lot. So we got to move quick, all right? Uh, so these things are going to be up on the screen along with a variety of other verses. If you lose track of these things, uh, you can have a copy of my notes. I've got one somewhere. Or I can text you, email them to you, whatever. I know some people are note takers. I'm that way. And so if you need these, need to catch up on these a little bit later, just let me know. And I can send those to you. But I want us to see seven things this morning. The first one is this. Before you start praying, know that Jesus is already praying for you. Before you start praying, 
before you join in with Jesus through the power of the Spirit and cry out, Abba, Father, Jesus is already praying for you. We see this in three different passages uh, specifically, but Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. That's how we can look around and, and we're not, we don't live in the midst of condemnation. We can live in the midst of life because of Jesus Christ. More than that, who was raised, Jesus Christ who was raised at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. When Paul wrote this, uh, when the church started, Today, January, whatever it is, 20th or 21st, 22nd, I don't know what today is. In 2023, Jesus is still interceding for us. First John chapter 2 says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, by the way, raise of hands, anybody this past week? All right, so if, if you did, yeah, you're a sinner. If you didn't, you're a liar. So that makes everybody. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The third passage, Hebrews chapter seven, I want us to look at this for just a moment. Verse 22, he says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And what does the priest do? He's the mediator between God the Father and mankind. Jesus is the priest forever because he continues. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who, notice the next two words, draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, if we look here, this word intercession or this word intercede to come between literally means to plead, to appeal for, or to petition. So, who is the one who is interceding here? Who is pleading? Who is coming before? Jesus Christ. Who is he petitioning to? God the Father. Who is he interceding on the behalf of? Us. Friends, me and you. We talked about this word, this idea of sanctification. So we have adoption. We, we looked at that just for a moment uh, uh, there in Galatians chapter four. We've been grafted into the family. We have justification because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And now we have this work of sanctification, which means to be made holy. We're growing into the likeness of Jesus. We're being sanctified. We're being set apart. And so from this place of being justified and being adopted where we are converted. We say, man, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. Now we start walking this path of Jesus Christ, growing more and more in his likeness by the power of the spirit. But if we look at the flip side of sanctification, so our perspective is sanctification from the perspective of Jesus is actually intercession. So the way that we are made holy, the way that we are sanctified is by Jesus Christ taking the finished work of the cross and applying it to our lives day after day after day so that we can experience victory today. That's really good news for us. That's why he said, that's why Matthew 11, Jesus says, my yoke is easy. Some of you come in here this morning like, man, this is not easy. Follow, he, like, what about uh, dying to ourselves? What about living to Christ? That's not easy. 
put to death all of these things. I'd rather just live for myself. What he is saying is you don't have to work for your salvation. You simply have to draw near. He said, I've done the work for you. I'm applying that to your life. As you are being sanctified, I'm interceding for you. I'm applying my victory to you. That's why we see here this, this phrase, draw near, um, in James chapter four and verse number eight. What does James say? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. As we draw near to Christ, we are wedged tightly today, friend, today. We are wedged between the forgiveness that we are offered by Jesus Christ on the cross and the glory that we are going to experience with him forever. He is interceding for us. And so we're able to live between forgiveness and glory. And when we do, we are able to step into and experience this deep inner peace because our sin is paid for and we have a future hope. And we're longing for and looking forward to that day. Here's the second thing I want us to see is that when we hurry, and we saw this a couple of weeks ago, when we hurry, we don't have the opportunity to ask what God might be up to in a particular situation. I've got to give credit where credit is due. Somebody in my life group, I don't remember who it was a couple weeks ago said this. It's like, what is hurry? Uh, what does it do to us? What's the problem with hurry? And somebody said, man, we don't get to see what God is up to just in our lives. We don't get to look around and say, man, what, what might God want me to hear or to listen for or to say to me? What might he be doing in this relationship, even in the moment? So when we hurry, we don't get the opportunity to do that. What, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. When Jesus was asked, he said, love the Lord your God with your... Okay, decent. I'll give you like a solid B minus, okay? He said, so love God and love, love your neighbor. So love God, love others. Sermon on the Mount, what's smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount? Not just about loving God and loving others, but also love your, love your enemy. That's pretty rough. But can I tell you that hurry is incompatible with love. Hurry is incompatible with love. Think about the times when you often fail to show love. You're rushing out the door. You're in the middle of the task. You've got other things to accomplish. You're going like this. I don't have time for you, kid. What's wrong with you? Come on, put your clothes on. Come on, get in. Come on, wife. I can't believe you'd do that. Why didn't you have this ready? You know what I'm talking about? Those are the times when we are hurrying when we don't have the chance. We have the chance. We have the opportunity. We don't take the opportunity to love because we were in a hurry. First Corinthians chapter 13. What does Paul say there? Love is first of all what? What's the first word? Love is patient. Love is patient. It takes time. Back in the 90s, there was a phrase, how do you spell love? Anybody know? T-I-M-E, right? Remember seeing that on like a 90s t-shirt. It's a very 90s phrase. The greatest resource and gift that we have in our lives is that of time. And we see this, uh, we see this conglomeration, this relationship between love and time. Those you love, you're going to spend time with. So I would plead with you this morning that hurry does not fall into that. Spend time with the Trinity, listening to, living in what he wants to tell you. And just be surprised what he may do. 
I think about Jesus when he was walking here on this earth a couple thousand years ago. Most of his miracles, most of his teachings came when he was interrupted. Somebody walked up to him. Hey, Jesus, what about this? Hey, Jesus, here's this guy over here. Hey, Jesus, this lady needs, my daughter needs this. What does Jesus do? Let me tell you something. That's not on my task list for the day. So, sorry. Uh, call my assistant and we'll see if we, can, if we can pencil you in for, I don't know, like 35 years from now. Because he had so many people all the time. No, Jesus stops. His life was one of interruption. Thomas Merton said this. He said, hurry is a pervasive form of contemporary violence. Guess when he said that? Almost 100 years ago. Dude didn't have a cell phone. C.S. Lewis, how you respond to interruption is who you really are. Parents, can I get an amen? Abraham Joshua Heschel, he said, prayer is our humble response to the inconceivable surprise of living. When our lives are marked by hurry, we don't have time for prayer. We don't take time for love. The third thing I want us to see is, is this. Prayer is not telling God anything, but it's inviting God into everything. So a couple of the questions that we've gotten the past couple of weeks as we've been talking about prayer. One is, what is okay to pray for and what is not? Can I, can I pray for this? This seems kind of small. This seems kind of lame. I don't know if I can pray for this. But we looked at last week, Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. What's really the first request that we have there? Give us this day our daily bread. It seems pretty simple. He's not, he's not asking, hey, pray for the big stuff. Don't worry about the small stuff. You take care of the small stuff. No, we go and we ask our good father for the big stuff. We said this last week too. Pray what you got. Just pray what you got. He wants to hear it. Parents, your, your kids ever come to you and tell you, hey, you won't believe what, what happened at school today, or you won't believe what I did on my video game, or you won't believe this kind of whatever this is. And you're like, man, this, you know what? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you a real life kid. I don't need to hear these problems. Let me know when they really matter. Anybody do that? That one, okay, well, how old are your kids? You know, they're like in their 30s. You're like, you shouldn't be playing video games at that point anyway. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but they come to me, I want to listen. I want to hear because I care as their father. Not so much about what they're saying, but because I love them and I care about them. The second question that we've gotten a lot is, uh, is God listening? Is God really listening? Because it doesn't seem like he is. It seems like God is silent. And when God, when it seems like he is silent, I feel missed. I feel like he doesn't care about me. And often I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, man, can I just, can I get a divine audience with somebody else up there? Because God, you're, you're obviously not listening to this request. This is a good request. You know, you call somebody uh, like a sales rep or a company on the phone and you're talking to them. And, uh, and they're not answering your question and they're just going through their list of responses. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, if, if you don't have insurance, you know, and, or pretty much anything, like, okay, well, we can't do that, sir. Okay, okay. And you're like, can I talk to your manager? Can I talk to somebody there who could actually do something about this problem? Don't we do the same thing with God? 
But friend, here's what we must do. It's not simply enough to have faith in what God can do. We must have trust in his character and in his nature. And because we trust God for who he is, then we can humbly and boldly bring our requests, not our demands, to a good father who loves us. So we continue to pray. We continue to invite God into every part of our lives. The next thing that I want us to see this morning is that intercession is bringing his kingdom to bear on the world. Intercession. So we talked about this idea of intercede, to plead for, to petition for, to appeal on behalf of. And we saw this in Matthew chapter six. Jesus says, pray in this way. Pray that my kingdom would come where? On earth as it is in heaven. So we're pleading for, we're petitioning for on behalf of others. And by the way, on behalf of ourselves, that the kingdom would come. Here's the question I wrote on my board as I was uh, just kind of brain mapping, brain, brain dumping some ideas about prayer. But I wrote this question down on my board. It's still on my board in my office. I wrote this question down. This is, man, this is insightful. You think guys like C.S. Lewis and Thomas Merton are smart? Wait till you hear this. You'd be like, this is, this is why this guy's on staff. This, my question is this. What if we prayed? What if we prayed? What if we sought the face and the kingdom of God day in and day out? Here's what I think would happen. We actually started the whole series here. Psalm 46 and verse number 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When we are still, we're reminded of who God is and what he can do. So often our prayers, we try to give God an out. How many times do you pray and you say the word just? God, if you could just heal this person, if you could just do this, if you... I don't know if my kids have ever asked me, can you just, can you just make me a grilled cheese for lunch? No, you can eat a bowl of cereal, you know? Can I just have, no. Dad, I'd like a grilled cheese for lunch. Absolutely. Absolutely. How many times do we give God an out by saying, if it be your will, if it be your will, this, if it be your will, this, if it be your will. Now, let me, let me, let me tell you this. God is so sovereign over and above all things. He is going to do what he wants to do. If you think that you can conjure up enough faith to control God, who's really God at that point? You are. My point here is how are we asking? How are we pleading? How are we interceding in the same way that Jesus Christ is? Say, man, bring your kingdom down to earth. And if we were still knowing that I am God, then we would be experiencing his love and others would be experiencing his love and his grace. Is there a better answer to prayer than that? Man, that's a whole lot better than your prayer list of all the things you want, of your wish list, of the things that would make your life easier. Experience the presence and the love of Jesus. Take your childlike faith to a good, good father. 
when I look at this verse, be so know that I'm God, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And this idea of intercession is bringing the kingdom down to earth. When Jesus came the first time, when he inaugurated, when he started his kingdom 2,000 years ago, what did that inauguration look like? It looked like healing. That inauguration looked like teaching. It looked like spending time with the Father. It looked like sacrifice. That's the kingdom. It's one of being restored, of being reconciled, of being made whole. Be still and know that I am God. Experience this. His, heal, his kingdom is one of blessing. His kingdom is one where the lost are made children, where they're adopted in. So here's what I want us to do just for a moment. You, when you came in, you had a couple of three by five cards there on your seat and you had a pen. And what I want us to do is just for a moment, because uh, I've had folks tell me, nowhere in, this, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we should pray for the lost. Does it say that we should pray for their salvation? Um, and I would, just, I would just say, well, Jesus is praying for hours and he did a whole lot more than pray. He came and he was born of a virgin. Uh, he stepped down from his heavenly throne and he lived for us uh, the life that we were designed to live. And he died for us a death that we deserved to die. And now he is still continuing to live and to plead and intercede for us. So the model of Jesus is one of chasing down and rescuing his enemies. So what I'd like for us to do just for a moment is to write down the names of folks who you believe are not saved, who are far from God. And I want you to write those names down. Nobody's gonna see this list except for you. But I think a lot of times we fail to consider the kingdom being brought down to this earth as we intercede for the lost. So just take a few minutes, uh, moments, not minutes. I want you to write down the names of, of those who are lost in, in your life and in your circle. As you do, this list right here is the list from the 24 hours of prayer of those who are unsaved. And as I look at this stack of cards, dozens and hundreds of names, some of these are at a distance from us relationally. And as I read through this list, I don't know a whole lot of these names. I know very few of them, but I know for many in this room, these are brothers and sisters and children and moms and dads and neighbors and coworkers. Can I plead with you to be interceding for these men and these women, for these children? Can we be still and know that God is going to be exalted among the nations? And that as we pray, as we plead the heart of a good, good father, he promises that his kingdom is going to come to fruition. It is here. And I would encourage you as you take that card uh, or as you're writing down that card, as you leave, take that card and pray for those folks. That's for you. That's not for us. But may we be a people who are praying for the lost, interceding on their behalf. The fifth point, I wanna set it up in a way like this. Here's the question I wanna ask as I set this fifth one up. My question is this, what anchors your day right now? Don't worry about the bottom three-fourths of that slide. What anchors your day right now? Maybe it's your email inbox. Maybe it's the buzzing of your phone. 
Maybe it's your work schedule. Maybe what anchors your day is you're looking forward to the weekend. Maybe you're looking forward to your next day off. Maybe you're looking forward to your next vacation. Whatever it is, think about that for a moment. What anchors your day right now? You say, oh, well, Jesus. Like, okay, that's great. But practically, in reality, what anchors your day right now? Maybe it's your workday demands, but something sets the daily rhythm of your life. Something sets that daily rhythm. Whatever that is, I want you to ask these questions of it. Is it making me whole? Does it love me or want to control me? Is it concerned for my deepest well-being or is it trying to sell me something? Is it shaping me into the best version of myself or is it enhancing my selfishness? Is it leaving me alive or exhausted? Man, that last one gets me. Here's the fifth point that I want us to see. Whatever is at the center of your life defines you and forms you into its image. Whatever is at the center of your life defines you and forms you into its image. Here's what I want you to do. Second task. I'm not going to give out any homework besides praying. But here's the second task for today during class. I don't want this to be busy work, but I want you to take 60 seconds. And I want you to write down either on the second card that's there in your seat or on the back of the card that you have. Either way. But I want you to write down the answer to this question at the bottom of the screen. What would your life look like this week, this coming week, if every other force is vying for your attention, but only Jesus has your heart? What would your life look like if in the midst of all of those things, pulling you toward them, vying for your time, your attention, your heart, your soul, Jesus has that. Take 45, 60 seconds, write that down. What would that look like in your life? Nobody's gonna see this except for you. This is for you and the Father. It's okay if we don't, but do we have a brave soul who wants to share just briefly? Hopefully you didn't have time to write a novel, but does anybody want to share briefly what the answer to your question was? Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. He said he'd be serving his family's spiritual needs. 
more than their physical needs. Yeah, that's great. I heard somebody else over here. Yeah, go ahead, Natasha. Peace. Yeah. Peace, love, and assurance. Anybody else? Go ahead, Greg. Teflon. Hmm. He said he would impact the world around him, but it wouldn't impact him. Yeah. Anybody else? Slow motion. Relaxed. Yeah, yeah. She said it would be like when she's fasting, being filled and exuding the fruit of the spirit. Yeah, like you're with God. That's all you need. You don't need food or a scroll or nothing else. Not like, a, like an ancient scroll, but like an Instagram scroll. There's an analogy in there somewhere. Chris, write that down for me. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she said less stress, less anxiety, able to pour into your kids because you're focused on Christ, yeah. Again, we have this, we have this picture that I tried to paint just a, a few moments ago, but, but we're wedged tightly and securely between forgiveness and glory. Man, what a, what a beautiful picture when we're not consumed with hurry and with the things of this world, yeah. Here, here's the sixth thing, um, because we got to hurry and get out of here so we can get a lunch. But here's the, here's the sixth thing that I want us to see. Some of y'all are like, man, you're just, you're just trying to give us to-do lists. This, friend, is not a call to legalism, but to live your life according to a different love. Be still and know that I am God. That's not a call to legalism. It's a call to love to a better love, to a different love. It's a call to experiencing your relationship with the Father. And this is the, the foundation of the early church. If you go back and look at the early church, they were, there was a daily time of prayer, multiple times of daily prayer for the early church, which didn't just begin 2,000 years ago, but it began about 4,000 years ago. When you go back and look at the time of the, the tabernacle there in the desert, there were multiple times during the day when people prayed. We see it in Daniel chapter 6. We saw it a few weeks ago, right? Daniel was going and praying three times a day. That was not out of the ordinary for him. We see it at the temple right after that. As they restored the temple, they came and they prayed. Jesus is praying multiple times a day, as was his routine, morning, afternoon, evening. And then we see it in the book of Acts. If you go through and read the book of Acts, almost every occurrence of some sort of narrative as the story goes, if, you say, if it says, and they were doing this, almost every single time it says, after they went to the temple to pray, then they did this. Before the evening prayer, they did this. After they had risen early in the morning and gone to pray, then they did this. It was part of their lives. This is not a call to legalism. 
but a call to a better love. Love and time go hand in hand. Here's the seventh and final thing that I want to say to you this morning is that you must be loved into love. I can't just tell you about love. I can't just explain it to you and then you experience it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You can't just watch all the rom-coms and eavesdrop uh, on people's first date conversations and attend all the weddings and say, man, I know love. You've got to experience it with someone else in relationship. This gospel discovery of the relationship that we have with Abba Father never ends. It never ceases. Hebrews chapter 3, it says this in verses 12 through 14. This will be up on the screen. But it says, I want us to see here real quick, by the way. I want us to see that this love comes from the Father. The way that we experience that is in spending time with the Trinity. It's in spending time with community. It's in spending time with a life group, with a DNA group, with brothers and sisters, going to lunch, whatever that looks like. This is all encompassing. This is all of life. Here's what Hebrews chapter 3 says. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day. In other words, encourage and hold each other up. Be there for each other. Be there strength. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As we are his people, we're going to hold each other account. Man, this is, we are to be falling in love with the father, with the creator of the universe. May we be doing that together. May that inform our conversations. May our relationships in our homes, with our life groups, may those be conformed to love. Love is easy at the beginning and the end. Love is easy when you have butterflies in your stomach on a first date. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I think I'm in love, you know? You kind of weak in the knees. You're like, oh, man, I'm in love. I think I, I, think I found the one. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, that's easy. That's fun. Love is easy at the end. When you're old, you're holding hands in the nursing home, and you smell awful, like love is easy then. Nobody else is going to love you at that point, you know. Nobody else is going to feed you. That's love. I, I think about The Notebook. Again, my favorite movie of all time. And people ask me, they're like, when you say that, are you kidding? Are you making fun of someone? I'm not. And if you want to make fun of me, that's on you. I love The Notebook. It's fantastic. My favorite movie. Number two, uh, which I'm a romantic, but my number two favorite movie is Dumb and Dumber. Okay, so it goes downhill quickly. But when you look at The Notebook, The Notebook doesn't talk about the in-between. The Notebook begins with these older people saying, man, love is great at the end. The rest of the movie is love is great at the beginning. But it's the middle part, all of life, day in, day out, week in, week out. That's how we survive not with just this, this, these butterfly feelings and not just, well, one day I'll have this mate. It's day in, day out. That's how our love survives. It's in the mundane, small things of life. Even in those things, run to a good father. I was thinking a couple weeks ago, I was sitting in my sister's living room in North Georgia. And I, 
like their TV barely works. Um, so we were trying to watch football or something. So I do manly stuff too, okay? But we were watching football and uh, internet just, it's just, it's just jacked up. They live in the, I'm surprised they have indoor plumbing. And so uh, we're sitting there and the family's there. My parents are there. My sister Miranda, her family is there. Uh, we're there and we're just kind of hanging out. And I thought, man, I, I wish we were doing something meaningful together as a family. But, but then I thought, even in this moment where I normally just fall asleep, by the way, so it's nothing that special I am reminded of who I really am at the core of myself. I'm reminded that I'm a brother, that I'm a son, I'm a father, I'm an uncle, I'm a husband. And I love those moments. I'm reminded that I am loved by these people. I'm reminded of the people that I love. And even when I think about spending time with my family, what doesn't come to mind is chasing a bunch of kids and rugrats around Great Wolf Lodge, you know, trying to make sure everybody's alive and accounted for, just counting the whole time, you know, one of the three, and we got like, a, I don't know, like 20 kids or I don't know. Once you get a double digits, it's just like, I mean, it's, your math is gone between all these cousins. I don't, I don't long for those days. I don't long for those times of, man, just having fun. Like, this is awesome. Man, this is great. Great Wolf Lodge. I don't long for the time of us going up and down, chasing kids up and down these fake snow piles, you know, and, and these sleds like we were doing in North Georgia. I don't, I don't run to that. What I long for is that time of just sitting and being with those who are closest to me. And I'm reminded, this is how I was designed and created. This is my identity. At the core of who I am, I am a brother. I'm a dad. I'm a son. I'm reminded that I am loved. I am reminded that this is one of the greatest graces that I have been given by God. That of family, that of intimacy, that of deep, no matter what happens, community. Friend, the same is true with prayer. Just show up and pray what you got. Thomas Merton said this. He said, if you want a life of prayer, the way to get it is by praying. Again, you may walk away and be like, bro, that dude didn't tell me anything this morning. And I would plead with you, to simply show up. First, first Thessalonians chapter five and verse, well, verse 16 says, rejoice always, simple verse. Verse 17, it says, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Just show up and pray. pray. Prayer is not a burden. Friend, it's where we bring our burdens. We don't pray because we ought to. We pray because we get to. Prayer is not primarily about moving the hand of God. Prayer is more about God changing our hearts. And so that's why I asked the question again, what if we prayed? Man, we would experience the love of the Trinity and others around us would experience his love as well. That's the invitation. May we be a church not known by our location, 
by the way that we look, by the way that we dress, by the way the band sounds, by, by our theology, by every, every, may we be a church known by the way that we pray. As we celebrate this morning, as we often do, as we do every single week, this meal of communion. This is for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. We have a common need. We talk about the way that Jesus Christ came. He had to come to the earth because we are sinners. You are born under the wrath of God. You deserve the wrath of God to be poured out on you eternally because of our, uh, our first father. It's what's called federal headship. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, we are born under the wrath of God, separated from him. We have a common need, and that's the grace of Jesus Christ. He extends that to us because of his sacrifice. He adopts us in, not because of the way that we look or the way that we act or the way that we perform or because of how smart we are or how well we can, nothing. Nothing, none of those things. But it's simply because of his character and his nature, because of his love for us. And so as we partake in this meal this morning, we're reminded that as the bread is cut into pieces, his body was broken for us. We deserve that. Not just physically, but also spiritually. The blood that's here in these, the, no, no, this is juice. My bad. That would be awesome. And a little weird. But as the juice is there in the bowls, we're reminded of the blood of Jesus that was poured out. It covers us so that when the Father sees us, this is how we can be in relationship with him. He sees us as righteous. Man, what if we saw other people as righteous? You're like, ah, no, nah, they don't deserve that. You're right. But that's how God the Father sees you. If your faith and your trust is in him and him alone. So as we partake in this this morning, this is for those who are believers, but this is a reminder for every single one of us that the way that we take hold of the grace of Jesus Christ is by crying out, Abba, Father. I am nothing more than a needy child. So may this be our prayer yet again this morning and a reminder for us this week we can do nothing without him. And if you have never cried out to the Father before, I would implore you, compel you, I would plead with you, I would intercede with your soul and say, cry out to God the Father even for the first time. He is faithful and just. Doggone Siri. He is faithful and just to forgive you. And that's all you have to do is cry out to him. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So friends, family, I would invite you to cry out to God even now as we participate in this meal together. You're invited to join me.